you can exchange any of the 50 states, U.S. Virgin Islands, and I think one more protectorate. <laughs> but U.S. Uh, Virgin Islands, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's somebody somebody who helped break the regulations must have had property there. That's all I can yeah. figure. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Jim Goodnow of Leader 1031. That's a wholly owned subsidiary of Leader Bank NA. Jim is a qualified intermediary for 1031 exchange transactions. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it very much. So let's dial it back. What is a 1031 exchange? So in a rare instance, the IRS got something right. And they got <laughs> it right way back in 2020. 20- or 1921, rather, three years after the after the IRA, the Internal Revenue Code first came out. So 1031s have been around for over 100 years. And what it does is it allows people who own property for business use, production of income, or investment, so non-personal use property, the opportunity to dispose of that property. And as long as they acquire new property that is business use, production of income, or investment, they can defer the capital gains associated with that. So defer means you're going to pay it at some point, but not right now. Potentially. So I, I like to look at this as a, you know, let's look at the long play. Okay. So you've got somebody who owns an apartment complex, right? So they've they've owned this complex. Uh, they decide they don't want to be a landlord anymore. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. So they go, they uh, put the apartment complex up for sale, structured as a 1031 exchange, they go out and buy, let's say, a triple net lease Walgreens, hands off. No, they're no longer really a, a landlord anymore, and they get a check every month, right? So they're getting up in age. They didn't want to, they didn't want to be a landlord anymore. That property becomes a part of their estate. Their beneficiaries can get step up in basis at death, and nobody ever pays the cap gates tax. Got it. And that's the swap till you drop concept, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. <laughs> so that's interesting. So let's talk about that couple who had the multifamily what you know as they purchase it their basis is at a certain point there's some capex but there's certainly depreciation right so how does it typically look if comparing what they would have paid in taxes versus moving it to a like kind property right and that's part of the analysis we do with every transaction and obviously the longer you own the property the more depreciation you've taken over the years if you do a straight out sale that depreciation recaptures tax at 25%. so if you've owned a property for you know you most re- most real estate's going to be depreciated over 39 years so if you've owned it for 20 years it's going to be half depreciated that all that money is going to be taxed at 25% then your remaining capital gains going to be taxed probably at either 15 or 20% plus your 3.8% um, affordable care act tax plus your state level tax. So you, depending on what state you live in, you're looking at high twenties, low thirties in, in taxation. So somebody who's sitting there thinking, okay, I bought this for 300,000 and I'm selling it for 600,000. I have a, a taxable obligation of 300,000. It's not that simple. 
Not at all. Because if you, like I said, my example, you owned it for 20 years. So it's depreciated down to 150,000, right? Paid 300,000 depreciate. So you've got 150,000 depreciation recapture at 25% and 300,000 in capital gains at 23.8% plus your state level tax. So let's talk about the process of, of exchanging then. So you had mentioned uh, certain qualifications. What we understood 1031 exchange is it's a like kind exchange, right? So if you have a certain piece of real estate, you have to exchange for a certain piece of real estate. Help me understand what the scope is there. Yeah, kind of go back to what I said at first, where as okay. long as the property is held for business use, production of income or investment, that's the like kind they're referring to. So as long as you hold it for one of those three purposes, you can change from rental real estate, you know, uh, residential rental to office to industrial to you know investing in vacant land to actually oil and gas royalty interests. Anything that's considered real property is like kind of anything that else is considered real property. Got it. Okay, so land that's interesting. I didn't think you could purchase land and bank your money. It, it, it's I've had people that'll buy lands, you know, they'll speculate, but also you look at vacant land where it might be uh, acreage attached to a, a ranch or a working farm or, you know, where it's actually, you know, they own the they own the farmland and they lease it out all, every year for somebody to grow crops on. But their real investment is the land. Right. So, um, you know, it's 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 not the most common, but it definitely, you know, I've, I've seen quite a few transactions. You get it. A lot of it too, where you've got the the urban sprawl, where somebody's got an old family farm that's not farmed anymore, but then you know Walgreens or Sam's or somebody comes in and you know wants you know wants to make an offer, and it, it it's almost something you absolutely have to exchange, or you're going to take an incredible tax hit. Right, right. Well, the IRS doesn't make things easy, so help us understand what the actual process is. So I have a for family, residential. I've owned it for 15 years and I'm tired of this property, but I'm not tired of owning investment real estate. I list the property. At what point are you getting involved? We'll usually get involved when you're under contract to sell. Okay. Um, you can get us involved anytime prior to closing on the sale. Um, I usually a week or so is enough time. I've done it the day of, I don't particularly care for that, <laughs> but, but we can get it done as long as it's, as long as it's structured as an exchange, um, prior to signing the documents, we're good. And what is um, and, that? How do you, how do you structure it for exchange? There's an assignment. Yeah. So what we'll, what we'll typically look at, we'll look at the, the PA per, purchase agreement um, we like to see a 1031 cooperation provision in there where it just simply says, you know, the seller may be doing a 1031 exchange. It's literally can be that simple. I've seen other examples that are a page and a half long. So it just kind of depends on who writes the PA. Um, but what we'll do then is get a copy of the purchase agreement. I will then immediately reach out to the closing agent, let them know this is part of their part of an exchange because they have to modify their documents to, to a small degree, considering all the documentation that goes into it. We'll then draft our exchange agreement and send that out to the client. And that that defines what their responsibilities are as the exchanger slash taxpayer. And it also define what our duties are as a qualified intermediary. Um, 
and, and within that document, the taxpayer is telling us, yes, they've consulted tax counsel because I cannot provide legal or tax advice. Um, and when I'm talking to the client, that comes out about every 45 seconds in our conversation. Um, but then we will get the document in place. The only closing, the only document in the closing package that changes is the settlement statement, the Alta. And what it's going to show there is leader bank or leader 1031 as qualified intermediary for the seller. And then the closing agent's going to send us the proceeds versus sell it, sending it directly to the to the taxpayer slash exchanger. So the seller assigns their purchase agreement, in essence, their position in the sale to you as the intermediary, the third party, so that that seller doesn't touch the money. Right. right. And what they're assigning us is the rights, but not the obligations. And and basically, in the eyes of the IRS and only the eyes of the IRS, we become the deemed seller. Got it. So so then that 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 and what we'll do is that notice the IRS requires that the other party, in this case, the purchaser on the on this side of the transaction is notified that this is a 1031. And like you mentioned before, we do have a notice of assignment. It's a simple one paragraph. This contract's been assigned for 1031 purposes. And we provide that to the closing agent to get signed at closing. So really the only that's the only other uh, change to a traditional closing. Okay, so then the closing happens. The seller does not get those funds or they choose to take some and be taxed on those. But what happens to the lump proceeds? So the closing agent will send those into us and we'll open up a, 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 a segregated account in the name of the client. It'll be, actually it'll be leader bank is qualified intermediary for the exchanger and have its own separate distinct sub account uh, attached to their tax ID number. So for control purposes, it's our account, but for tax purposes, it's theirs. They cannot distribute out of it. Uh, distribution can only come direction they direct us to distribute, then we distribute. Okay. So then how does it work procedurally from the point where they sold to the point where they purchased? Like how does the process work? What are they allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? So let's let's take it as if they close today. Yep. So, so from today, their clock would start ticking. And what that means is they've got 45 days from today to identify what it is they want to acquire and 180 days from today to close on that acquisition. The the 45 day identification period, that there's a couple different identification rules, but the most common is what we refer to as the three property rule that allows you to identify any three properties regardless of value. Uh, in order to have a fully deferred exchange, the value of the property you buy has to be equal or higher to the value of the property you sold. So if they sold, I think your example was selling for 600,000, you need to buy at least 600000 in property to have a fully deferred exchange. Got it. What if they had a mortgage? So let's stick with your example. Let's say you had the $600,000 property, $200,000 mortgage, $400,000 comes into the QI. We'll use that $400,000 for the down payment on any property. You can get either new debt to cover the difference, or you can actually contribute additional equity to, to replace debt. Okay, so you have to mirror that two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. You have to buy something in excess of the six hundred, even though four hundred is your proceeds. Yeah, it's equal or up in equity and equal or up in fair market value. 
So you have to use the full 400,000 and you have to hit that 600,000. But if you only want to buy 400,000 in property, you can and just recognize gain on that 200,000. Right. So the par partial exchanges are allowed. But in most cases, if you're going to go through this process, you're going to take full deferral or for the most part, as much as you can. Right. Okay. So somebody identifies three properties and then they have an additional 180 or is the 180 from the day zero? The 45 and the 180 run concurrently. So Got from it. day 45, they've had another 135. Got it. Got it. And what happens if they don't identify anything within the first 45 days? On day 46, I'll typically reach out to them and say, you've got a busted exchange. Where do you want me to send your money? This is a taxable event. So yeah. that actually kind of works. I've seen, I've talked to a lot of people over the years who are like, well, I'm not sure I can find anything. I'm not sure it's worth the issue. I, I tell them, look, let's take the 45 days and hopefully you can find something. If not, all you've lost is a nominal fee and the use of your money for a month and a half. Right. So it, I think it's, you know, even if you don't think you can make it work, 45 days isn't that long, right? So it might make sense to just give it a try. Hopefully you can find something. Right. So what about um, you've identified one of three and you're struggling to close or you decide none of them are going to work? What happens then? Yeah. If you're between day 46 and day 180, you're, you're, you're locked in to those properties you identified. And under the regulations, and this is IRS rules, not Jim's qualified intermediary rules, yeah. those monies can only be used to acquire properly identified property or the expiration of the exchange period, which basically means if you can't find anything, if your deals fall apart between day 46 and day 180, you can't get your money till day 181. And the theory being that they may, it may come back to life. Right. That deal that quote fell apart could actually come back together. They want to take the flexibility away from the qualified intermediary and the client to say, you know, we're going to just identify three properties. We know they're all flyers. It, it, it's just they want to make sure that the regulations as written aren't abused, I think, is their theory behind it. But it's the IRS, so they're really difficult to tell sometimes. Yeah, no, I get that. What if someone wanted to, what if they saw a screaming deal and they wanted to buy first and they haven't had the ability to sell yet? Yeah, now we're now we're looking at a reverse exchange, which okay. it still has the 45 and 180 deadlines, but the IRS does not allow you to own both properties at the same time. So the way that property has to be structured is what we refer to as a parking transaction. And in that case, the reverse exchange company will create a new LLC and that LLC will actually purchase the property. So the, the, the taxpayer slash exchanger is going to assign the contract to that new LLC. It's gonna be a full assignment, not just the, the assignment of the rights and not the obligations, as I mentioned before. And the exchanger will then lend that LLC the money to buy and park that property. And that, that LLC will own the property for tax purposes, but they immediately lease it to the exchanger so they can, they, they if, if there's rent being collected, it goes right to the exchanger during that parking period. They have full rights to go in and do any renovations they want to do 
it, the, the only thing that doesn't occur during that prop parking period is nobody gets to take advantage of depreciation. Got it. And then when they go to sell, they replenish, they repay back whatever they had lent in. Yeah. So we go through the whole same process as we talked about at first, where we, you know, we get an exchange agreement in place. I co coordinate with the closing agent. The money comes into the qualified intermediary. Then that parked property is acquired to complete the exchange. And, and the monies that hit the proceeds from sale will then be used to repay the money that was lent to the LLC by the exchanger. So they'll get that money back in their pocket. Got it. Um, what if they want a value add? Is it possible to, to buy something? So, so let's use that example of 600,000 and then buy something for 400,000, but they plan to put $400,000 into that. Right. And now we're talking an improvement exchange, which has, it's, it's a kind of a hybrid, but it has more similarity to the reverse, wherein the improvements have to be done to the property before they actually take title to the property. So again, we'd set up an LLC to buy that property, make the improvements. And then when the improvements are at least get to the $600,000 level, so we know we have a full exchange, then that property can be acquired as part of the exchange. Got it. So until you get to that point where it is like kind, you don't have the full exchange. You don't have the, the purchase yet. That's interesting. Um, what about geography? Where can you do it? So if you're, so I'm here on the South shore of, of Boston, Massachusetts, can I exchange anywhere in the United States? U.S. property for U.S. property. So you can exchange any of the 50 states, U.S. Virgin Islands, and I think one more protectorate. <laughs> but U.S. Uh, Virgin Islands, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's somebody somebody who helped break the regulations must have had property there. That's all I can yeah. figure. But yeah. Um, yeah, so anywhere, any U.S. property, U.S. property, and actually, you can do foreign property for foreign property, which is kind of an interesting twist that people don't really think about. Um, the most of the transactions I've done for that are large U.S. taxpayers that have a lot of multinational holdings. I did some deals for a, a oil and gas company that had holdings in uh, Thailand, and they exchange them for holdings in Canada. Got it. It's kind of strange, but so Jim, assuming somebody finds their way to you and they replace a property for a, a like kind exchange, and they had an amazing experience, and they sit down on the Google machine and they want to type out a testimonial. What is, what, what does that sound like? I like to take, I take the approach of educating and problem, problem solving when we do these transactions. So most people have never done an exchange. If they've done one, it's years ago. It's something new to them. It's a highly valuable asset within their, most people's holdings. So what I do is I walk them through it. I hold their hand. So they're going to walk away one fully educated and understanding all the impacts of the potential exchange, even the fact, you know, like you said, down the road, you're going to, it's tax deferred. It's not tax free, like some people say. So you arm them with that information and, and they can make an informed decision. So they, my, my perfect client review would be, Jim was extremely helpful in structuring this transaction for me. I came in not understanding what the, how the process was run. 
or what was nest what steps were necessary. He walked me through the process, educated me on the pitfalls and the benefits, and was integral in working with my advisors and the closing agents to make the transaction work smoothly. Oh, I love it. I love it. And he saved me a lot of tax money for the short term, <laughs> at least, at least. So I know you listened to a couple of the podcast episodes and I ask everybody the same question at the end. And I know people are sitting at the end of their seat wondering what song is Jim going to sing? So we get together. Karaoke is on. Jim, good now. You are next up on the mic. What are you singing? Well, I knew this was coming and I had to think about how long ago it was that I actually did karaoke and it happened sometime in, I would guess, the early 90s. Nice. <laughs> and that took place after me and the boys uh, finished a softball game and went to the bar and had perhaps one or two adult beverages. <laughs> I love it. And we fortunately, we went up as a group because all of us were awful singers. <laughs> and I personally have absolutely zero musical ability. So I was, I don't know if you refer to it as the chorus or the refrain, because I don't know my music terms very well, but I was on the background for ACDC Thunderstruck. Oh, I love it. So I got to do the na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, thunder, and that was the extent. (laughs) Well, that was then, this is now. So you have the opportunity to stand up there in the middle of the state. I don't know if it's an opportunity or a a prison sentence. It's your choice of... uh, of of which analogy you want to use, but you are up there on stage singing alone. What is it? Is it going to be ACDC again, or is it going to be something else? I can guarantee it's going to be something from the 70s. So it's probably going to be ACDC or Van Halen or something along those lines, because I'm that that that's where my music, my uh, music genre is from. So I have it might very well have to still be ACDC. Which one? <laughs> I, I got to go with the song I know. I'll I'll stick with Thunderstruck because I know the refrain and I, I know most. And the, the beauty is, of course, the words are up on the screen. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just I, I, I would recommend everybody wearing uh, covering their ears for that that particular. Forget that. Everyone's going to be singing along with you, raising their fists in the air, getting all fired up. That's the beauty of karaoke. It's a community event. Now, Jim, the most important question of them all real estate investor, somebody who's uh, looking at doing a 1031 exchange, looking at selling, looking at deferring their taxes, what is the best way for them to reach you and get in touch with you? The best aspect, probably leader1031.com. And it's got my, the the links are there with my full contact information. Uh, Leader 1031 has a LinkedIn page. That's another avenue to go. Uh, Those are probably the two best. um, And and I want to, you know, emphasize too, not not just the taxpayer, not just the seller, you know, your your CPAs and your attorneys that don't do a whole lot of this, you know, use me as a resource. It's something that I, you know, I can answer those questions. You're seeing one or two a year. I've been doing this every day for 23 years. Right. And it's important to have professionals with you to make sure that those I's are dotted and those T's are crossed. That's why we have qualified intermediaries under the eyes of the irs so jim thank you i appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your knowledge i know there's a lot of folks listening to this who need this information to understand better where we're going with the market and what they want to do with their properties because not a lot of people want to pay all of those taxes back if they don't have to not right now and i appreciate the opportunity invite to come on 
Folks, this has been another wonderful episode of Elements of Styles. If you enjoyed this, if you thought of somebody, somebody who may need this information, please forward it along to them and share it with everyone and anyone. We'll talk with you next week. Bye now. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.